Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with CEO and president of Sesame Workshop, Gary Nell, who fought through a good old-fashioned New England blizzard to appear on the show today. Unfortunately, sunny days did not sweep the clouds away. Welcome to the show, Gary Nell. Well, nothing would keep me away, so great to be here. Well, let's talk Sesame Street. Why has this show, over 40 years, expanded, grown, and been such a huge success? Well, I think a lot of it is uh, it's just fun, and it's engaging, and it's really about uh, not about uh, making people think that they are being spoken down to, but being respected from a three-year-old kid to a... 63 year old and it's in so many ways uh, it captures the power of television first and foremost and it just so happens also to educate. I think it's beautiful that this show geared towards children still appeals to me at any age. Well today at Harvard I showed one of the courses a clip of Ricky Gervais with Elmo doing the letter N and it is one of the funniest routines you will ever see. I mean, not just funny for Sesame Street, but just darn funny. And I think part of it is uh, the kids don't really know who Ricky Gervais is particularly, but every parent watching this just loves it. And the hope is that because they're so engaged, they will reinforce the lesson about, in this case, words that start with the letter N. Now, sort of on the celebrity angle here, are there any celebrities you have in the shoot that you're looking forward to or people you've always been wanting to get on the show? <laughs> well, we, you know, there's a long list of people who uh, all want to come on the show. Pretty much everybody wants to come on the show. I sat next to the wife of the drummer, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who was begging me to, for them to come on the show this year. And in fact, Chad Smith is going to come and with his kid and come to the set this year so there's uh, there's no shortage of people who want to come on and um, we want to I think the serious answer to that though is we want to have people who are really part of the culture because Sesame Street is really part of the culture but also who can role model and who people can respect and and the actors and musicians and other figures that we have on the show are really there to be part of Sesame Street they have to come into Sesame Street we don't go to them now, Sesame Street's always been a, a quintessential model for informal learning. Have there been any forays into introducing Sesame Street into the classroom? Um, well, that's a really good question and something that we are deeply uh, involved in developing now. Um, we applied last summer to the U.S. Department of Education for something called their Innovation uh, Investment and Innovation Fund, or I-3 as they called it, um, and got very good scores on a concept that basically could take the digital assets of Sesame Street and embed it in a pre-K or kindergarten setting. What we're not talking about is wheeling in a television so the kids can zone out for 45 minutes. What we are talking about is utilizing the 4,000 hours of digitized content that we own that have really been developed along a Head Start curriculum, which includes cognitive development, social and emotional learning, and health outcomes, really the whole child curriculum, digitized into segments that a trained teacher can use to motivate a child, and then it goes off. 
and reinforced by the teacher. It's a way of connecting, we hope, the child, the teacher, and inf the most important component, the parent, which in too many homes in America is the missing component of that educational puzzle that has to be brought together. Sesame Workshop is obviously known for Sesame Street, uh, but there's also other projects in the works there. What are some you're particularly proud of? Well, we have the Electra Company now is a fantastic uh, experiment, I think, in trying to engage primarily seven and eight-year-olds uh, towards the love of words and the love of reading. Uh, what we try to do is tackle this challenge in America that by the time kids are in the fourth grade, if they're not proficient, the chances of them even graduating high school markedly deteriorate. Uh, and in Detroit, 70% of children are not graduating high school. And these are just embarrassments to the country that we are living in this society, such a rich society, and have these kinds of outcomes. Something's not working. So we felt that to take on and motivate some kids towards literacy and word recognition through, through this kind of active motivation, through the story of this really gang of kids who are you know, engaged in using words to express themselves in a way that children can really relate to, and the use of celebrities like Dwight Howard at the Orlando Magic and and, uh, and Sean Kingston and other people, that, that they can relate to these uh, uh, kids in the show and relate to the stories and in that way get motivated to really want to engage in, in learning how to read. Now you refer to the electric company as an experiment and Sesame Street's also often referred to as an experiment. Is there ever going to be a time when this isn't a case? Uh, we view Sesame Street as an ongoing experiment. And in fact, we're about to enter into the 42nd experimental season of Sesame Street, as it is formally known on the curriculum document that is developed for the upcoming season. Uh, and it's deliberate that way. And part of that is the legacy of Harvard's influence and the legacy of Jerry Lesser, specifically, who really started what is called the Sesame Workshop model, which involved formative research uh, after a need was defined to test ideas out and then come back with a summative evaluation to correct what you didn't do right. And this is kind of obvious when you think about it in a business context, but in the world of media, very unusual. How many people put their things out and then go correct them the next time? And I think this experimental nature has made the show so much better and frankly has allowed it to survive for 42 years. I mean, I tell the staff there is no other show that's been around for 42 years. So we're inventing this. We're, we are inventing the, a new story here that's never been written before. Each and every day we continue to go on and we're going to be going on for a very long time as far as I can tell. I, I see no reason why it wouldn't as a child of it myself. Now, at its inception, Sesame Street was one of the only children's show on TV, one of the only shows on TV, one of the only channels on TV. Now, iPads, iPods, Nickelodeon, Disney, Internet. What is Sesame doing to kind of break through the noise? Well, that's a really good question. And as CEO of the workshop, that's the one that I probably uh, obsess about more than any other question. It's what I'll call the clutter factor. And you're exactly right. Up until 19, the late 80s, there were two preschool shows on TV in the United States, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And there was really nothing else, 
now we have, I think the last we checked, there were over 70 preschool shows on every day, including six competing networks, some of them 24-7 competing. That's just television. Then when you put the web uh, content on top of that, I put podcasts and Hulu and Twitter and all of these other things, which are enabling communicators uh, or distractions, depending on how they're used. It's a, it's a maddening cluttered world for a child to break through. So what we've really tried to do is to use these different technologies uh, almost in a way uh, where we are agnostic, not tying ourselves so much to one platform or another, but making our platform agnostic. That's number one. And the second thing we're able to do is to connect more with targeted audiences. So I think the mass kind of peanut butter approach of television in the old days probably doesn't have a deep enough educational experience as much as an embedded experience on the web. We're finding that people are coming on our website, unique users stay for an average of 25 minutes. That's a long time. That means for everybody who's on for 10 minutes, somebody's on for 50, right? So that's an awfully long time to stay on what website. What's happening is the parents are on there and they're watching a video, they're playing a game, they're having a deeper educational experience that you might have through interactivity. The other way is to target audiences who are have specific needs, such as tackling childhood obesity, such as dealing with the stresses of military families who are dealing with deployments and injuries and even a grieving process, such as dealing with how to eat healthy on a limited income. These kinds of things we can use the iconic power of the Muppets to make a true difference in families' lives. And I think in that way we get press attention and we stand out from the rest of the crowd who really, um, for different reasons, uh, become kind of a mush of entertainment-driven properties some educational, but but much more of a, a, a crowded space that one we can climb on top of. Sesame Street has dealt with so many very serious subjects from death in, the, in a family to some of what you just mentioned right now. Uh, is there any subject or topic that's taboo that will not be mentioned or brought up on Sesame Street? Well, of course, if I mentioned a topic, that then everyone would be on my case of you have to do this. But so, but there's not one topic I would put taboo. I think the filter here is really about um, uh, what is the mo what are the most critical issues facing preschoolers in America or in China or in Brazil or wherever we happen to be working. It's not a It's not what I feel. Gee whiz, you know, we should tackle this issue or that issue. What we do is we usually bring in a, a content seminar with child development experts who are with kids and dealing with issues of families. Um, this is how we kind of got into the childhood obesity issue. Uh, this is how in South Africa we got into the HIV issue. This wasn't about trying to promote safe sex to three-year-olds. What this was about is trying to deal with the issue of stigmatization because one in nine kids are infected and they were being stigmatized and there was a culture of silence in South Africa that we could help break by getting an HIV positive Muppet on the show who who could be quote-unquote normal in the sense that being asymptomatic and part of the community that the other kids could play with or be friends with and not get sick so in this way it was 
it was a, a way to deal with that. But that was the South Africans coming to us and saying, this is a really important thing for our young children. That probably wouldn't be the case in America because you don't have that. We have other health issues here. We have social and emotional issues here. We've got, God knows, big time cognitive development issues where our kids in too many communities are not prepared for school. And this is the one we've got to really drive home in my view over the next few years. Sort of on the business or the day-to-day -day side of things, aside from appearing at press conferences with Elmo, how is your job as CEO different than someone else's? Um, well, that's one big way. Um, and you have to take criticism from Elmo, which not every grown person can do. But um, you learn humility <laughs> from Elmo. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Grover's even worse. But um, I th my job is a unique job that I really love because it is a combination of uh, being, you have to be sophisticated about education, child development, but also you need to understand how to uh, manage Sesame's Place in a in a quickly changing media environment that's changing at lightning speed as every device comes out and makes it or doesn't make it. The business setting that we're in, the fact that some of our income comes from selling products in a consolidated marketplace where Walmart and Target now dominate and Toys R Us dominate retail in this country. These are things that I have to stay on top of at, at our own peril. So um, it's a combination of a very much of a left brain, right brain thing. And the joke about my day is the morning is sort of the politics of the Pakistani parliament. And the afternoon, I'm trying to weigh Betty Crocker fruit snacks, you know? So it's kind of, and I don't think there's a lot of jobs where people have to deal with serious discussions about those two topics in any one setting. Last, last question, Mr. Nell, and I'm not sure how you'll answer this. Who is your favorite Muppet? Notice I say who, not what. Who is your favorite Muppet? And if it's not Elmo, I promise I won't email him. Yeah. Uh, it's I Don't tell Elmo, because I, I love Elmo, but Grover, I think, is my favorite Muppet, because he's, uh, he is quite smart. Uh, and identify, I identify somewhat with him, but he drives it, everyone quite mad and um, with his questions and his innocent yet eh, somewhat clever style. So, um, and he just makes you laugh. So uh, he's kind of always been my f secret favorite. Not so much of a secret now, I suppose. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Harvard Graduate School of Education and the letter G and K, good and kind. Gary Nell. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.